We've been, uh, during Advent, looking at passages uh, that what we are going to hear tonight, uh, the Messiah, uh, are based upon. Uh, These passages were put together and given to Friedrich Handel, who wrote music and orchestrated them, as I mentioned earlier, in a very brief time. And uh, uh, some musicians would say that it's practically miraculous the, the way that he was able to do that. Uh, and yet he wanted the focus to be upon the, the Word of God. So we've been looking at uh, some of the passages that uh, you will hear again tonight in that context. So we read in uh, the ninth chapter of Isaiah, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, later time, he uh, has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you enable us by the power of your Spirit to understand what you were saying in that day when you revealed this word to Isaiah, what he was saying to that generation and to the next generation and to Jesus' generation and to our church this generation. And so will you teach us of that? We would pray for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Imagine uh, for a moment if it's at all possible being 
in a cave two and a half miles deep from the entrance. Between you and that cave entrance are various rooms, passages, some of the passages as small as 15 inches, some of the rooms large, but that now, after you had gotten two and a half miles in, were flooded. It's now impassable. You know what I'm talking about. Practically the whole world watched as the soccer team from Thailand that after practice had with their coach gone exploring this cave. They got so far in and then the water came in behind them. And for a time, for at least 10 days, many thought we would never find them. And if we found them, it would be a recovery, not a rescue. It's interesting, as a side note, that Major Hodges, who, uh, if you saw the special on 2020, shortly after the rescue, he was the primary one they were interviewing him, interviewing he was the American who was the coordinator of the various countries that were uh, trying for uh, this rescue. And he is the, the son of a PCA pastor that pastors up in Blair, South Carolina, very close to here. Um, a real hero in himself, but uh, gives all the credit to others. So back inside the cave, it's dark, it's completely dark. And you, you, even though it's been 10 days, you don't really know how long it's been because you, you lose track of time when there is no light. And then a flicker of light comes. A, a little sound at first and then a voice you hear, and it's a flicker of hope right in the middle of that darkness. Let me take you back to another time of darkness. The Bible describes the lostness of the world as darkness. We just read in Isaiah 9-2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them uh, has light shone. Now, what was that darkness? What was he talking about there when he talked about these people who were in darkness? Well, the, the best way to figure that out is you look further into the context. So, if you look back in Isaiah 
chapter 8, let me read to you a, a portion of that to, to give you the kind of setting that, uh, of what was going on in the world. It, it says this uh, in verse 19 of Isaiah 8. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. The necromancers, you know what a medium is. We're, is we're talking about the occult. The necromancers were uh, people that uh, try to talk to the dead and get their guidance that way. These things are, are forbidden by God in the Scripture, but here is what it's saying is that they were seeking after. Um, so in, inquire, some are saying, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if, if they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. They're in such darkness, there's no light. They'll pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged. will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, so they're looking for answers everywhere but God. And they're looking to the earth, and here's what they find. Distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So that's the setting. And then Isaiah, inspired by God, prophetically says, these people have seen a great light. And then he goes on to explain what the light is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the light that's coming into this thick darkness that nothing could penetrate and, and no answers were found by these people who were in darkness. And then the light comes. And it's this one. So let's take a look at that verse. First of all, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I want you to, uh, to notice that uh, this child's not born for the world or the universe. He's born for a people and for a purpose. He is born and given on our behalf. It's to us. That's who this child is for. Now, uh, we're going to see this uh, uh, further in this passage, but whenever you're looking uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it, it's good to understand how the Hebrews like to write. And one of the things they like to do when they were emphasizing something 
was to write in parallel sentences. If they really wanted to say something strong, they would say it twice, but they would say it slightly different each time. So notice it says, for to us a, a child is born, to us a son is, is given. So uh, there's the emphasis is that uh, he's coming not for his benefit, but for ours. It's to us and for us. We need this child. We need him to do something on our behalf. And then it says, a child and a son. Again, there's the, the parallelism. Now, here's the thing we need to emph emphasize about this. Uh, remember, it's prophecy. Looking, looking ahead, predicting that which is going to happen. Isaiah is emphasizing that this this uh, child, this son, is going to be uh, absolutely uh, unique in terms of coming as a leader, uh, coming as a savior. He's coming as a child, not as a conqueror, not as a, a ruler immediately, but as a child, as a son. Now, that's related to what we talked about last week in uh, Isaiah 7.14, where this one would be born of uh, a virgin, uh, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. He'll be called Emmanuel, which, as we learned from the New Testament, means God with us. So, it's to us. He's coming as a child and as a son which is uh, unique in terms of a hope for the people. And then it says the government will be on his shoulder. What government? What we'd like to say, our government, wouldn't we? <laughs> and I don't care who's in charge. We'd always like to say our government, but that, that's not uh, the prediction here. Um, what it's talking about is the government of the kingdom of God. That's what's going to be on his shoulder. He's going to reign, he's going to rule, and it'll be on him, on his shoulder. And it speaks of him being a king, even though he comes as a child. Now, they were under a spiritual bondage at that point. And it was only going to get worse. That's what we read about in, in Isaiah uh, 8. It's what we saw a couple of weeks ago in terms of the, the prediction that they would be under uh, literal bondage and so on. But they were under a spiritual bondage, and that yoke ultimately would be lifted. Now, in fact, later uh, in the Messiah that you're going to hear tonight. You will hear of Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 being sung. And that passage is what we're going to look at on Christmas Eve here at our services. But that passage is this. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I said the yoke, they, they, they were under a heavy yoke. 
a, a yoke is a body of teaching. And so they were under this great burden. And he says, this, this one who's making the promise, Jesus, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So that's the promise. Here, this government, and they were used to governments that were oppressive. They were used to governments that would, would push them down, would put them in their place. And here he's saying, there's going to be a different kind of government. And he's going to bear it on his shoulder. And, and that, that yoke that you are under will ultimately be lifted. And then there's the description of him, of the one that's being promised. Wonderful counselor. Now, tonight when our choir sings the Messiah, and, and I have to say, after, right after the Hallelujah Chorus, this is maybe my favorite chorus. i I'm. I love all the choruses, but this one especially. But when you hear it tonight, uh, you, will, you will hear them say, Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And, and so, in other words, Wonderful and Counselor are, are split up. And, and I'll just say, the Hebrew can be translated that way. That's not a wrong translation, but... Here, I'm, I think it would be better, remember we talked about the parallelism? I think it would be better to talk in terms of wonderful counselor. So, because each of the descriptions of him have uh, the description of the quality and then an adjective about that quality. So um, anyway, so we have him as a, a counselor of wonder or a wonder of a counselor. Um, you know what I think of when I see this? A number of you have come to me for counsel, and when somebody comes to me for counsel, uh, I will often say something like, well, I don't really have the answer for you, but I'm glad to talk out loud with you or think out loud with you through this problem or this issue. And the reason is because, as you know, the reason you're there for counsel is this is a hard problem. It's hard, hard to understand. What, what's the deal? And, and I don't pretend to have all the answers. And, and I know in all the years of my ministry, there have been times that I'm sure I've given counsel that hadn't been the greatest counsel. Now, I know full well that this is going to considerably lighten my counseling load by me telling you all of this. <laughs> I, I, I get that, okay? I'll do my best, let me put it that way. But what if you came to me and uh, you, you laid it out and, and I said, well, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I've got an answer, but let me tell you, um, what if... I can refer you to a counselor. And this counselor 
is going to give you the perfect counsel every time, and here's why. Because this counselor completely understands the issue and the problem even better than you do. Because he completely understands the past. And not only that, he, he completely understands the present. But not only that, he completely understands as in, and is in control of the future. Now, if I said, would you like to be referred to that counselor? You'd say, of course. What am I doing here? And that would be right. And that's how Jesus is described. I'm not for a moment saying there's not a place for, for counselors and getting good counsel from people you trust. But understand, those always have limits. And his counsel is always perfect. And then he's called the mighty God, which, by the way, that's the other reason why he's the wonderful counselor. This child is to be God himself. And this, in and of itself, distinguishes Christianity from from all the other world religions. To think in terms of that. And that revelation helps also explain why what we talked about last week, he needed to be born of a virgin. For him to be mighty God. He had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now notice it doesn't say... This one that's coming, he's going to be godlike. Or he's going to be a hero like a god. Or he's going to practically be God. It says, he is mighty God. If that's not true, it's blasphemy. That's how, how, how serious and how ultimate this promise is. He is and he will be mighty God. And then it says everlasting Father. Now, that's not confusing the Son with the Father. Uh, there's actually a heresy in uh, church history that tends to do that. You know, when people have tried to explain the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there have been a lot of, um, I would say, good faith attempts. I think a lot of people trying to explain it and and, uh, uh, you know, when you try to explain mystery, uh, you can get in trouble very easily. Uh, but we talk about one God and three persons. There were those in church history, it was called modalism, that, that said, no, it, it's really just one person displaying himself in three different ways. For instance... Uh, on, you know, if my whole family gets together, uh, I could be in a room, and it, when my parents were living in the, uh, at the same time, I could be a son and a father and a brother. But I, I was all the same person. And that's how they've tried to explain the Trinity. 
but that's heresy. Don't go that way. And that's not what it's saying here in terms of calling him everlasting father. Here's what it's saying. One commentator put it this way. It's attributing to the son the rule of a father, the government of a father. In the, in the scripture, when it talks about one in authority, they're often called fathers. So what this, here's what this is doing. It's affixing deity to this one that will come as a child. He is God. He is the Lord of eternity. And it also explains how the, uh, the throne of David as, that it talks about will last forever. He shall reign forever and ever. That's what it's referring to. And then with all of that power, he's then called the Prince of Peace. This is going to characterize that king. He will not be a king that brings war in order to conquer. His throne will be eternally established. Now, when I say he doesn't bring war in order to conquer, I mean for us. He did come and went to war. He went to war, according to the New Testament, against Satan and his kingdom. He went to war against sin and its dominion. And he went to war against death and its dominion. And he conquered all of them. So he went to war so that we could have peace. And so he's called the Prince of Peace. Listen to another of the passages that, that you will hear from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does that sound familiar? Of course. Triumphal entry. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. For those walking in darkness, for those that were in warring lands, lands where there was no peace, for us, this description of the light should give us hope. Remember what I read to you in terms of the darkness in the world described in Isaiah 8? There was a darkness because they were looking to their experts, to the occult to another world. They were looking to everything but God. 
They could figure it out. We can get the answer. But what it says in Isaiah is that that caused such a a thick darkness that they couldn't see a thing. Now let's go back to our soccer team. My guess is, because I know what boys are like, because I was a boy, that every boy in there had the answer. Everyone in there had a way that here's how we can get out. For some, it's let's go, go back the way we came. We can swim through all that. Maybe others were saying, let's go deeper. Maybe there's a way out, another end to this cave. Some maybe said, let's just wait. Somebody will come rescue us. And of course, that would have been certain death if no rescue had come. We know that they had actually tried to dig their way out. They said that they had dug as much as four meters. But think of that. Four meters compared to two and a half miles or however deep they were under the earth at that point. That wouldn't have been the answer either. Nothing they thought of worked. Nothing they tried would work. And all of their attempts would lead only to their own death. And then the light flickered. And then it came. Do you know what one of the great comforts of that soccer team was once somebody had come one of the great comforts was that an Australian doctor along with some other divers came back in as quickly as they could and they stayed with them that doctor ultimately basically became one of them. He was the last one out. Now, think about that doctor. He was living in Australia, I'm sure making a good living, comfortable and safe. And he left all that behind to come for a rescue. Given this scenario, when the rescue ultimately came, can anyone here imagine any of the boys refusing to be rescued? 
Can you imagine any of them saying, no, I will figure out my own way out of here. I don't want to be rescued. It would take faith on their part. It would, it would be a scary step. But it was their only hope. And they would have to be passive in it. if they were going to be rescued. Scripture, the Scripture tells us that it's not just the Israelites who are in darkness, but any who are without Christ. But the light has come. Christmas is about the incarnation which is that one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had all the comforts and glory of heaven, who left it behind and came to become one of us and to rescue us. Will you stay? or continue to try to find your own salvation? Or will you step out and receive the light by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? Let's bow together. Lord, for any who are weary of trying to work their way to you, will you give them a heart to believe that the light has come and that he is their only hope? And will you comfort all of us with that in knowing that that's how much you love us? We give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.